this is a special edition of the This Is Believe One podcast. Uh, I am joined by Tim Ryder from Metsmerized Online. And you've heard of Christmas in July. Well, we're embracing Festivus in August. We're airing some grievances here today. And I know Tim has his fair share of grievances about the New York Mets. Oh, I do. Um, you know, that's kind of just a perpetual thing to be a Mets fan and have some, uh, have some gripes. But um, yeah, yeah, they've uh, they've outdone themselves so far this year. Uh, yeah, the the big news from you know the end of last week was Yoanis know, Cespedes. He it, he was just not at the ballpark, and you know the announcement from the team made it sound like he was like dead or kidnapped or just it. And it turned out he just like left, and that was just strange. Yeah, so <laughs> it's funny because the way the team spun this or, or how. I'm trying to choose my words carefully. How, how they played their hand, um, it leads. It, it's it's plausible that they uh, kind of tossed a lot of dirt on Cespedes. Okay, so let's go through the timeline because um, this all happened really in quick succession on a sun during a Sunday afternoon ball game. Like, you know, what reasons do you have to break into a, a live sports game with breaking news? Uh, John Lennon was shot, Bin Laden was killed, and Yoannis Cespedes didn't show up to work. <laughs> so uh, they cut into a live game, um, you know, and, and the, way, the way that the statement was worded, uh, you know, I saw it and said, well, this is strange. They're just letting us know he didn't show up to work today. But um, without any details and without, you know, much information besides what they gave, which was just, oh, he didn't show up to work. It's an inex- it's an inexcused absence, and uh, we're unsure of his whereabouts. It was, you know, that's uh, paraphrased, but mm-hmm. so the way they put it out was that okay, so he he's missing, he's presumed missing, and um, of course, you know, Mets Twitter just just exploded, and there was a lot of concern for his safety, mm-hmm. and of course, you know, fifteen minutes later, the Mets pop in and say oh, oh yeah okay no we 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 have no reason to believe that his safety is at uh, at risk here but um we still don't know where he is well how did you guys put that together without talking to him so that's when you know at least in my mind i, I put a couple of tweets out like none of this makes any sense whatsoever mm-hmm. so uh after the game brody does announce that uanus espedes did indeed opt out but we started hearing that, and I, again, I'm I'm a lowly blogger. We started hearing that in the third or fourth, maybe the fifth inning. Mm-hmm. Uh, just wind started blowing that Cespedes opted out Saturday night, the previous night. Yeah. That wasn't, um, you know, that of course raised concerns, but we were all waiting for the end of the game. We knew we would hear get details, but Brody said, nope, they heard towards the end of the game. Well, okay, so maybe the person we heard it from just had their – you know, maybe some information was, uh, you know, just not shared correctly. And okay. Everyone found out in the afternoon, but that, that didn't quite sit well either. Cause why would they go out and put out that whole statement? Again, it just, none of it really made sense. Now, Monday, Brandon Nimmo spoke to the Mets, uh, press corps and he let the Mets press corps know that, Oh no, the, the Mets players knew, that he opted out the previous night. We knew before the game. So that just threw everything into disarray. So, Ioannis Cespedes, if he opted out of the season, that's his prerogative. Yeah. Um, his mother has, I guess, is at risk and uh, for COVID. And, you know, that's 
there's no shame in opting out of this season. Um, I applaud it personally. I think it's a it's a courageous decision mm-hmm. for going whatever your salary is. It doesn't matter if you make twelve dollars an hour or you know ten million dollars a year. You're forgoing your paycheck for the safety of yourself and your family. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, the Mets is it. I know. I'm sorry. I'm going on here, but there's no, really keep good. going. Keep going. This is because this <laughs> is just one of the all-time Mets stories. I mean, this the <laughs> you could put this on the Mets misery bracket, and it might be a high-seeded uh, team or high-seeded entry on that bracket. Let's be real here. I would say this is a three seed. This could it could still blow up, but it, we haven't heard much about it. The Mets haven't said anything about it. So back to Nimmo. Nimmo says that okay. So we heard about this during the game, uh, before the game. So that, you know, if this word's blowing around the clubhouse and bloggers are finding out, are we expected to believe that the Mets front office truly doesn't didn't know that Cespedes was opting out? So let's take it back to the Mets. The Mets have a history of shoveling dirt on anybody who mm-hmm. leaves without, you know, being absolutely the king of New York, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Like, all right. Sandy Alderson, who was the Mets GM during their postseason run in 2015, World Series run in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Sandy Alderson is one of the greatest baseball minds to to, to be in this game in the last 30, 40 years. Uh, let's, you know, okay, yeah, let's say 40 years. I think he broke in the late 70s, early 80s or something, something like that. So one of the best baseball, baseball minds around. Um, I did absolutely all he could when he was with the Mets to – let, to get them to succeed. And he was strapped with payroll restrictions. Uh, he was trying to get uh, a larger analytics department, which was, of course, what all the good baseball teams were doing at the time. They were mm-hmm. expanding their analytics department. He was denied that. He was denied payroll uh, additions. I guess the team forced that they were uh, felt that they were forced into signing Cespedes, but uh, they knew that he had bad heels. They knew completely about the double heel calcification issues mm-hmm. and signed that big deal anyway. All right, so when Sandy had to step down or, you know, rumors it was it was mutual, but whatever the case may be. Actually, I think they said it was mutual, but, you know, the Wilpons are just the Wilpons. I remember that whole situation being a mess. Like, he stepped down, but he was still involved in the team, and he still had the title somehow. It was all strange, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's it was, you know, he had to step down. He had cancer, so he had to go do cancer treatments. But he, he, he said, oh, yeah, I think my time here has run its course, but... It was pretty much assumed that, yeah, the Mets had had enough and Sandy was just, you know, God bless him, man. He hung around for so long. Uh, I couldn't imagine working directly for those uh, for this ownership group. But, you know, he, he did his best and he did the best with what he was given by them. And, um, you know, he brought he brought them to a World Series. He went out and he got Cespedes for, uh, oh, my God, I'm forgetting who he traded. Uh, I want to say, oh man, it was it wasn't Fulmer, was it? I want to say it was Michael Fulmer, and I want to say Luis Sessa. Yeah, okay. I know Fulmer. I, I thought I want. I didn't want to misspeak, but okay, it was Fulmer. But you know, Fulmer's a good pitcher. But hey, he got Cespedes, and he got you in the World Series, and that's a an all time run that he went on. But he still kicked dirt. Like the team still kicked dirt on Sandy, saying, "Oh no, he's lying. We gave him all he asked for." <laughs> no, you didn't. Like he went on the. He went on a. The retrospective, which is Tim Britton from The Athletic, him and, um, oh, geez, I apologize because now I'm just drawing a blank. Shit. All right. Sorry. Anyway, um, 
Sandy went on the show. I do apologize because I, I, I follow. He follows me. I follow him. But I'm just drawing a complete blank on his name. Oh, all right. Maybe you can edit this one out. <laughs> but <laughs> Sandy went on a Mets podcast, uh, I would say, last year. And he's like, you know, he's a good man. He's not going to, you know, come out and say, oh, that was all bullshit. But, you know, he hinted it. Yeah. You know, they're going to say what they're going to say. And the, uh, the, uh, the Mets podcast on The Athletic, The Metrospective. The Metrospective. Correct. Yeah. My Tim apologies. Britton and Pete McCarthy. There you go. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. <laughs> um, and, you know, they kicked dirt on Sandy on the way out. They called him a, a liar in so many words. Mm-hmm. David Wright. Now, David Wright is, you know the captain he's the you know he's the guy in new york and um still has a role within the organization he's an advisor to, to brody van wagenen uh just a hero you know mm-hmm. the place was packed the night before he retired uh just to see him take one at bat which i, I was there me and my daughter was there we were there and it was awesome but anyway back in 2011 um this is right i guess right when the extension questions began about david wright mm-hmm. uh, he was still healthy at the time and Fred Wilpon went in, I believe it was the New York Times, and he said straight out, David Wright is not a superstar. Now, up to that point, David Wright, over, I believe it was eight seasons, hitting 308 with like a 900 OPS, um, you know, well on his way to a Hall of Fame career before injuries cut him down. Uh-huh. Fred Wilpon went to the New York Times or the New Yorker. I, I'm sorry. I wish I had more this stuff in front of me. And, you know, threw dirt on it, on their superstar just to kind of drive his price down. We That's how we all saw it, and that's probably not too far off. But, again, that's uh, speculation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they would kick Sandy Alderson while he's battling cancer. While, you know, and they would kick David Wright, who is the face of your franchise. Why wouldn't they slander Uena Cespedes? Because they're salty that he opted out. That's what this all comes back to, and I'm sorry, I was a bit long-winded on that. But no, I um, mean, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right, though. I mean, it, it, when you're talking about the Mets and the way that they handle things, it's never just a a one-sentence conversation. It's it's a whole ball that builds on top of each other, where it's one thing and another and another. It's just you have to realize the everything about it to understand just what they're doing and how they operate. To make another Seinfeld reference, in the finale, it wasn't just the fact that they were the innocent bystanders, you know, it's the fact that this is a pattern of behavior that has led to them, and they need to be punished for their behavior. You're just explaining everything that the Mets have done over the years, and how that it's not as simple as sometimes they try and make it out to be. Oh, it never is. And and they've, they've you know, they've done these just PR gymnastics so many times in the past, um... You know, we see it coming. And I commended the, the fan base. I commended Mets Twitter on Sunday night. I said, guys, you called this out. You've been trained not to fall for this organization's bullshit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I might, I, might, I might have led that rally or, or at least, you know, been at the forefront of that rally. But, boy, you know, the tie, and it was only Twitter and not every Mets fans on Twitter. And that's, just, that's a shame because a lot of the truth is on, uh, is on Twitter. There's a lot of smart fans there. But, mm-hmm. And I'm sure that goes for every fan base. And, you know, they have their low points too. But um, smart baseball fans are good baseball fans. And you find a lot of them on a, in the, uh, the Twitter fan bases. But, um, yeah, well, we, you know, we, we've been trained not to fall for the bullshit. And, it, you know, there's just so much of it that you could always pick it out. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
yeah, you know, they're they're out there trading away, you know, good prospects for fucking Billy Hamilton. I'm sorry. <laughs> I always apologize for cursing. I, you curse all the I'll curse as much as you fucking want to. Okay, it's all good. I will, James. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, Jordan Humphreys, uh, the guy battled all the way back from Tommy John surgery, and most people don't know who, to- who Jordan Humphreys is was or yeah. is. Um, battled all the way back from Tommy John surgery. Pitched to a, like a, a point zero, uh, 0.77 ERA in the Arizona Fall League last year. Um, you know, this is a promising young arm. Whether he's a swingman or, or, you know, just middle bullpen type of guy, whatever. This is a solid arm and Mets need depth. We've, we've seen how lack of lack of depth can, can really just, you know, kill momentum, kill a season, whatever you mm-hmm. want to say. But, uh, you know, you could have got Billy Hamilton off the – <laughs> off the uh, off the, the the trash heap, and I'm just, Billy Hamilton's a good player, and he stole a base the other night, and cool, that's great, and he serves a purpose. But <laughs> you know, if the Mets manage their roster a little more, uh, you know, just be a little more fucking prudent. Like you don't add a guy who's just coming back from Tommy John surgery to your forty man roster in Humphreys. You know, of course, they couldn't have seen this whole COVID thing coming, but. Um, they were handcuffed. They had to let him go. Same thing with Steven Gonzalez. They had to DFA him to make room for somebody else. And they, oh, we just hope no one's going to claim him. Well, a guy like Gonzalez and a guy like Humphreys, no, they're not like, you know, bright stars, but um, someone's going to see promise in them. They're young pitchers. They're prospects. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, flip him, flip him over for a guy he could have signed to a minor league deal who I, there were many Mets fans saying, sign Billy Hamilton. He's going to serve a purpose. But now we got to give away a fucking prospect for him, and it's absolutely a kick in the gut. Um, yeah. As you can hear, bro, I'm airing grievances. You asked me to air grievances, and I have fucking grievances. And, and this is this is perfect because, I mean, the, we're talking about the Mets right now. I'm sure you're not the only one that has a lot of grievances, but I feel like they could have found any number of players or people available to serve the purpose of Billy Hamilton. They probably had someone, even in their satellite alternate training site, whatever you want to call it, available that has the skill set of Billy Hamilton. And John, I, I, I'm, I wish I can get his name right. It's John Eshwi, John Eshwi Vargas. I hope I said that right. Um, he is Billy Hamilton. You also have Juan Lagares, who's at the alternate training site. Juan Lagares is back. It seems like he always says like he leaves, and he comes back like all the time. Well, no, he went to San Diego, and then San Diego didn't add him to their roster, and he had an opt out, or they they released him, or something along those lines. But uh, yeah, he's back with the Mets, and um, you know he's not the speed demon that he once was, and you know, he's still only in his late twenties, maybe. So like you know. He's just battled injuries, and mm-hmm. you know, need an outfielder. They had Ryan Cordell. They had to DF. Oh, I'm sorry, they optioned him. I believe he had an option left. I don't even know anymore. It's really hard to keep track, and yeah. it's like they're all over the league. I don't know if you saw the Marlins. They had a. They completely like built a new roster. It was insane. Yeah, and you know, thank goodness they got 60 man rosters, and thank goodness that there's been no serious, serious illnesses. But um, this is wild. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm confident that they're going to make it through, and I think we saw a worst case scenario with, uh, with Miami. But um, it's just a matter of time before, you know, a division in, in a week there's going to be actual division leaders. You know, what if a division leader goes down and you know 
boom, this is just a whole new wrinkle. Like, mm-hmm. it's really exciting, but they're playing with fire, man. Yeah, it's, it's very it's very concerning. You just, you're almost waiting for, you know, the rug to pull out from underneath you. I mean, uh, it's, you know, Friday's Cardinals-Cubs game is postponed because another player on the Cardinals is, po- is uh, tested positive. And, you know, their oh. rest of their series this weekend might be just all postponed, too. So, um so that's another division. So that's not even, um, you know, concerning the whole Cardinals, you know, semi-outbreak that they have. I mean, they've only played five games, but that's a separate one compared to the one that happened in Miami and, you know, with the Phillies. I mean, so it's in a different division now, that, and that's concerning. Yeah. But uh, back to the Mets for a second. Billy Hamilton, I, I responded to your tweet when they got Billy Hamilton, and I said, there is your designated uh, extra innings man on second guy. Because I feel sure. that's pretty much the only purpose he should serve. Is that or a pinch runner or a defensive replacement for, like, J.D. Davis, who has not looked good in the outfield this year? Uh, he hasn't. He's looked a bit overmatched at times, but they're, they're going to have to find the bats for him. But mm-hmm. please go with Hamilton because I, I, I have two cents on that, too. So, you know, defensive replacement, extra innings, man on second guy. He hasn't played in the game yet. Um Cleveland has a similar situation with the line order shield, so I feel that he is the exact same purpose or exact same role as what Billy Hamilton should play for the Mets. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And and you know, and that's cool, but you know, now the Mets are strapped for for capable, um, defensive minded outfielders. <laughs> and like you said, like, you know, Davis it kinda wasn't cutting it. I, mm-hmm. I you know, he, he's got a cannon for an arm. He actually looked really good running down a few balls over the first week, but you know there's been plays that that he just looked overmatched and not really you mm-hmm. know major ready. And you know he's a young player and he's done really he he was a third baseman, so um, he's still learning. I have to assume. And Dom Smith is out there. He's going to be playing a little left field, mm-hmm. and he has been. Today. And Davis has been playing. Has been doing the DH, but you know. I just don't want to see Billy Hamilton, who hit like 219 last year, uh, get a regular spot in this lineup. I think that would be a, you know, for the benefits that he does bring, um, a 400 fucking OPS is just not going to cut it. Yeah, uh, let's see. For, he's surprisingly, he hit 211 for the Royals in 93 games, and he hit 268 in 26 games for the Braves, but that was only in... 41 at-bats and 48 plate appearances. I mean, That's not actually not terrible. That's not terrible considering his career batting average is 242 and he's just not really that good. Uh you know, you yeah. look Well, he's a terrific defensive player. Like I think since he debuted, he's top 5 in uh defensive runs saved and ultimate zone rating. Yeah, but he, the problem is is that he's a, he's a speed guy who can't get on base. So yeah, <laughs> runner and ghost runner he is. Yeah, so I mean, you nobody really bunts for base hits. He'd be the perfect bunt for base hit guy, but nobody likes doing that anymore. And he's not even a, like a top of the lineup, set the table guy. I mean, he strikes out a ton too, so it's 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 ugly. He strikes out like once a game. We have two leadoff hitters. We got well, they're both they're both hurt now. Day right now, but. Um, Rosario and McNeil, I mean, you can, and I'm sorry, and, and Nimmo, yeah. um, you can flip flop those guys into the leadoff spot at any point. I like how that I love DH. I love it. 
like absolutely because mm-hmm. you get to put Rosario in the nine hole and you kind of have um, you have speed at both ends and mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, just very very exciting. I've been hoping for the DH for a long time and uh, it's fun. You know, I really enjoy it. I think everyone's kind of taken to it. Uh, you know, National League fans are um, traditionalists. So yes. It, uh, you know, it was a bit of a, a, a shock at first, but I think there, everyone's there. come. I've seen two distinct camps in this. People that absolutely love it that are National League fans and National League fans that hate it. There's no in-between, I think. Yeah. There's still American League fans who say, oh, this, you know, the DH. And that that was, you know, pushing 40 years ago. I mean, it's it's if you have someone who's capable of doing it. You know, a lot of times uh, DH ends up being someone who is later in their career and simply can't play the field anymore. I mean, we've watched Albert Pujols just deteriorate before our eyes, and it's kind of sad. And that's that's the other side of the DH, that, you know, people get excited because the pitcher isn't hit anymore, but then you got to look at 40-year-old Albert Pujols just not getting it done anymore. Or, you know, um, you know Miguel Cabrera and what he's doing. It's just, it, it's sad sometimes at the, at the tail end of those guys' careers. Sure, they're extended, but... Sometimes you have to ask yourself, should they still even be playing? Yeah, well, you know, they're signed to these big, long contracts. You know, they're not going to mm-hmm. quit on those. Um, Pujols, you know, I, it's same thing with Cabrera, too. I could watch those guys play. I don't care if they're shells of their former selves. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, just the nostalgia in me says, oh, man, look, it's Miguel Cabrera. Uh, Pujols, too. I mean, he, when he mm-hmm. was on the car, he killed the Mets every time they played him. <laughs> You know, he would just the doubles that hit off the wall and would roll halfway back to second base. That's how fucking hard he hit the ball. Oh, mm-hmm. Pujols was a uh, was a monster. But um, yeah, I, you know, the, the economics that come along with that, and I think Pujols will hang him up. I mean, um, Cabrera will hang him up before. Uh, no, Pujols, Pujols then Cabrera. Yeah, Pujols is yeah. older. But um, I think I don't think Cabrera is too that uh, that that far behind him. Just because I think, uh, you know, his body just kind of gave out. He's been doing this since he was 18 years old at the major league level. Yeah, and he's he's had a very good and long career. And Oh, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. A- absolutely. Oh, um, it's, it's so funny watching his body transformation. You know, when he was down in Miami and he was an outfielder. And, a, you know, he looked like he weighed maybe 200 pounds. And when you look at him now, it's like, there's no way that's the same person. <laughs> yeah. Dude, 2003, I was... I was 20 in 2003 and we watched that whole series and you know I don't hate the Yankees but um a lot of Mets fans do <laughs> a lot of fans do I you know I'm from Long Island bro we are literally split right in the middle um you know you you have split homes as far as Mets and Yankees fans mm-hmm. and uh you know half of my friends are Yankees fans so of course they're in the World Series every year and we're gonna watch mm-hmm. but uh yeah Cabrera I mean you could see he hit that home run and you could see like wow, this guy's got an all-time swing, and yeah. here we are, you know, seventeen years later, and uh, he still has the swing. He's just he's he's slowing down. Yeah, it's slowing down. There's not as much pop behind it as it used to be. Uh, oh, when he makes contact, it's still there. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that home run swing has become maybe a little bit more of a a very long single swing, maybe a double, but he still hits the occasional homer. Yeah, no, it's um he'll go opposite field because he can't catch up to ninety eight, and 
you know, that's fine. But when he does connect on 98, that thing is gone. Yeah. <laughs> he can still hit a few out of there. Um, you, you brought up Brandon Nimmo a minute ago. I know, um, I feel like some people like and hate his, uh, his little routine that he does when he gets walked, where he just sprints down, down the first baseline. It's certainly war on people. Um, you know, Mets <laughs> love it. Uh, other uh, other fans of other fan bases absolutely hate it. They think that he's, uh, uh, you know... It's a hard on move. Yeah, but, you know, he just... Uh, he truly enjoys baseball. Yeah, you can tell. Yeah, like, you know... And, I, you know, to, to go back to Cespedes... He's the only Mets player who came out and, and spoke up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hate how this story is just blowing over right now. I hate it. It, it. it makes my blood boil that it's being swept under the rug. I want to fucking nail the rug to the floor. <laughs> so let's talk about some more Mets injuries because the Mets have been yeah, sorry, bitten by, by the injury bug. Uh, Robinson Cano was actually do something, doing something, and he got hurt. Marcus Stroman... Not throwing. Ahmed Rosario hurt. Jeff McNeil hurt. Jed Lowry's like never going to play again. And you have this just thrown together roster that's, I'll call it interesting. Yeah, interesting, but also four and eight, 20% into the season. And um, Strowman's on his way back. Uh, I believe he's thrown two simulated games. We're hoping that he'll be back this week. That's not been mentioned but i think that's uh you know hopeful wishful thinking maybe but we'll see um as far as rosario and mcneil they're both listed as day-to-day i haven't seen the lineups this is friday i haven't seen the lineup for tonight i don't have internet or tv at home we had that little tropical storm this week and uh we're still without tv and internet we're recording on my phone right now which i hope it sounds okay bro i'm sorry but uh, it sounds perfectly fine all right uh yeah, I, you know, when this club is healthy um, and everyone's kind of was beginning to um, to hit their, you know, hit their, their gear. And, you know, even Alonzo's starting to come around now to a really slow start. And Cano was absolutely raking. And um, that was really nice to see. And, you know, this lineup is deep enough that you have enough enough depth that – if one guy's slumping, there's enough talent in the other, you know, in the five hole, the three mm-hmm. hole, the six hole, to to kind of pick everybody up. And Cano was doing a really good job of that. Same thing with Conforto. Um, Rosario started off hot, but he really kind of fell into a little groove, and he was chasing a bunch of pitches. Mm-hmm. Uh, McNeil, before he got hurt, I think he was 11 for his last 20, or uh, nine for his last 20. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'm pulling that out of thin air, but. Um, he was you know, pretty solid. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, six I, for nineteen. Six for nineteen. I think, I, I'm sorry. Five for nineteen. So not bad. What over his? That was over his last. I think there was a, a hit streak, oh. like a four game hit streak, and then a game off, and then two more. Yeah, let me let me double check that. I think I might. Have oh, read that's that okay. wrong. Yeah, you don't have uh, to. Do it. It's a mini yeah, four for eight. Uh, four for nine. Six yeah. for. Six for thirteen. You know he's you know he's hitting around five hundred actually. Shit. Yeah, he was finding his stroke for sure. Um, and you know there, there's all these cogs, and if everyone's kind of firing and 
all the pistons are firing. The engine's going to move. and um, They're on their way. The bullpen's coming around. I think they have like a 1.69 ERA in August, which is very nice, pun intended. Um, <laughs> you know, if the rotation can play up, man, like we know what we're going to get from DeGrom every five days. He's the best pitcher on the planet. And I don't think – I'm not saying that as a Mets fan. I'm saying that as a baseball fan. I, I, he's – you want to – it's between like one of three people right now. It's it's DeGrom, it's Garrett Cole, or uh, Cleveland's own Shane Bieber, who is unreal right now. Bieber's on fire right now. That curveball is disgusting. That's, uh, that's Clayton Kershaw-esque. Um, it's just absolutely nasty. It falls off the table. But um, Garrett Cole, like, you know – Absolutely great pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, first, well on his way, but... It really comes down to personal preference, really. Oh, no, no, no. There's nobody better. There's not a pitcher better in the world than Jacob DeGrom. <laughs> he goes up there, and, you know, Travis Darno uh, got him for a single. in uh, They faced... He last time he pitched was against the Braves. And Darno, of course, was the Mets catcher for a number of years. Darno got him for a single, and DeGrom kind of smirked, but you could see he was mad. Mm-hmm. Darno hit a home run later in the game, and DeGrom was animated on the mound he mm-hmm. was he doesn't like giving up runs especially the travis the travis darnos of the world um, especially considering the the state of the mets bullpen you know if you think about it oh you know he's t- mr team mentality for sure but jacob Degrom loves his era oh, of course t- yes i mean he's he's, he's very out of, of uh he's just a confident confident pitcher and that you know he he just he sweats confidence. So, you know, it, nobody can touch him on the mound. I, I haven't seen anything like him in a very long time. And mm-hmm. Sure, I get to see a lot of them, but, um, you know, there's only a few pitchers that I, that's must much watch TV and Cole and, and even Bieber right now. And Dustin, mm-hmm. they looked fantastic. And I want to see a lot out of them. But boy, yeah, DeGrom, there's nothing like him. But back to the rotation. If these guys can play up and Strowman comes back strong and Mats can re find his groove because he was there but he had a really really tough start his last time out uh porcello looked very good the other night got his 150th career win um waka looked okay his second start or much better his second start i should say mm-hmm. uh, i'd be wrong there i'm been yeah made i want to say it was a second start yeah made two starts and one of them was was actually really strong but uh you know, there's promise there. And as long as they can kind of go on a little run, they're playing the Marlins, who are not really the Marlins right now, and they have them uh, a bunch over the next uh, 10 days. You know, if they're going to reel off six or seven in a row, now has to be the time to do that. Absolutely. Waka's first start was this good one against Boston. He got uh, right. he allowed five runs against Atlanta in his last start. Right. Yeah, that was a tough series in Atlanta. But, you know, by the time Sunday rolled around with Cespedes and stuff, I had to record a podcast that night, and at that point, it was like, "Oh yeah, we we lost three in a row over the weekend." They actually played a Monday and won, but I, I had no idea that it was a Friday to Monday series. I did a whole podcast saying, "Oh yeah, they got swept in the series." Did a whole podcast. <laughs> no, I, this is. I mean, this whole this whole season's all messed up, and you know, there's the Friday to Monday series. It's just all weird. Yeah, uh, I, you know, and it's baseball, and. Like I was saying before, I got no TV, TV or internet, and we're about an hour and a half from game time. I have to figure out how I'm watching this tonight. Oh, man, that's going to be tough. Uh... Uh, we're going to go with Howie Rose and Wayne Randazzo on WCBS 880. These guys are... <laughs> Howie Rose is a legend. Put it in the book. <laughs> <laughs> 
there are two names in the Mets bullpen I want I want uh, your reaction to. Uh, Edwin Diaz, Dylan Batanzas. Edwin Diaz, um, he's got elite stuff. I don't know if he gets in his own head. I don't know if um, if it's just control issues, if it's mechanics, whatever, whatever it is. But his stuff is too good for him not to revert back to that form where he was. Um, I'm not. I'm not one to speculate on on mental stuff. Mm-hmm. Like like you say, oh, Matt's Matt's. You know, he has uh, gets in his own head, stuff like that. No, it's a possibility, sure. But you know, mm-hmm. I'm not in that on him but the stuff is just too good he's going to come around Batantis, i love what i see the velocity might not be there um he got hit hard one game recently but uh overall i, I do like what he brings because he got a big strikeout last game no, two games ago I, I i dude i'm so out of touch man i haven't seen a baseball game in like three days <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um Again, if he play, if he pitches to his capabilities, uh, could be huge. And again, yeah. the bullpen's really starting to come together. And they, after a really, really wild start to uh, to the to the season, I think they had the third worst DRA over the first like week. Yeah, um, it wasn't great. <laughs> they're really starting to come around now, and uh, we, they they could use that because the starting rotation is a uh, you know unfortunately a question mark after Degrom. Yeah, uh, Dylan Patances uh, contributed to that. Uh, I'll call it catastrophic, depressing, gut wrenching loss against the Braves, where the Mets were up big, and then the Braves just came back. They're up eight to two in the fifth, and they lost eleven to ten. Yeah, uh, it was eight to two, and then it was ten to five, and you know, I, I. I I think in like the seventh or eighth inning, I said, Oh, this is a slow train crash. And you could see it. You yeah. just see it all happening. And yeah, that, uh, it was that just, it was just classic beautiful. Mets <laughs> aged beautifully like a wine. Oh man. Uh, you know, at least your team is doing some sort of hitting at least enough to score, you know, 10 runs in a game, you know, uh, Cleveland has not been doing so good. They just cracked 10 runs in a game for the first time this season last night. Um, that equaled their run total from the previous six games combined, which is just awful. You know, your team's at least scoring some runs on a consistent basis. Our, you know, Cleveland in their hand scoring like two and three and losing three to two or four to three or three to one. But because the, the pitching staff has been kind of holding their own, yeah. I, I, it's just been non-existent. Yeah, I, I tweeted it the other day. I'm like, so this is what it's like to watch a Jacob Degrom start with no run support. I'm watching this every day now. <laughs> <laughs> the team's, the t- you know, he allows two runs, but the team loses two to nothing. Or you know, he allows a run and they lose. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I could. We know all about that, man. And so every game's, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm kind of exaggerate a little bit, but at the same time, like, this is how Jacob deGrom has so many no decisions in his career. He'll pitch really good, and then, you know, maybe he'll get a run or two or run support, then, you know, the bullpen will blow it, and then he gets a no decision, or he'll, you know, he'll allow no runs, and nothing happens. It's just, it's been very frustrating. I mean, the Cleveland's been at the absolute bottom of 
all of the ranks, you know, hitting wise. I, I've been tweeting them out every day as as they've been updated. But they're 29th in batting average, 23rd in OBP, 30th in slugging, 29th in OPS, 21st in runs, and 23rd in home runs, while striking out the fourth most amount of times. Wow. Yeah, that's not going to cut it, man. And that's a um, that's a talented squad. You have Lindor and and Santana, who have both gotten off to really slow starts. Mm-hmm. Um, Ramirez is hitting the shit out of the ball. But hey, did I tell you? Hey, did I tell you? Season Hernandez was a player. Uh, yeah, you oh, did. I uh, did tell. You. And he said he's doing well. I'm looking at I'm looking now. But um, I think a guy who's really important, who kind of pulls everything together, who kind of has to start performing, or else he's going to be out of that lineup. Is Fran Reyes. Yeah. Um, you know, I I I when I was writing for the Padres a few years back, he was still in the minors and I got to speak to him. And this is like in the midst of his, I think it was like nine games and he hit something like six sixty over nine games with, uh, I think it was eight home runs. I, it just went off on a tear. They called him up the following week. Mm-hmm. And you know, when this guy, and he, he's done it a couple of times in San Diego and did it for, for you guys a few times. Yeah. When he gets hot, there's, absolutely no one in the league who could pitch around him he hits everything and everything goes really really far um and Framo Reyes is probably one of my top five favorite hitters in in major league baseball uh and boy I, you know I me and you were talking about it earlier in the week the second that he snaps in he's gonna put this team on his back mm-hmm. a- absolutely I mean Framo Reyes is one of the guys that needs to perform uh any other outfielder needs to do something. Uh, <laughs> uh, Domingo Santana, before last night, he, he got a hit. Outside of that 3-for-3 three three performance he had against Kansas City uh, in the third game of the season, he was 0-for the season. You know, So he was 0-for-20 on the season before, excluding Game 2, or I'm sorry, Game 3, and last night's hit. He was 0-for-20 before he got a hit last night. And so that was very, uh, let's just call it awful. Um, they're just not getting any hitting from their outfield. It's been awful. Um, Oscar Mercado is seeing a little, is seeing a dip so far this year, and that's not great considering he's a starting full-time outfielder. Uh, and all the other outfielders are just kind of not pulling their slack. And uh, the fact that Roberto Perez got hurt early and they have to do some sort of committee at catcher isn't helping either because Bo Taylor and Sandy Leone are not full-time catchers. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know. Sandy Leone. And, and I'm sorry, who was the other one? Bo Taylor. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's frustrating. I mean, you... I think we've they tried to do the Jordan Luplo against right-handed bats experiment, and I think we can officially call put an end to that now because so many people were calling he should play all the time. I'm like, no, he shouldn't because he can't hit righties. And what would you know? He can't hit righties. Uh, yeah, I don't think did, did Luplo have a hit yet. Uh, he is 0 for 20 or oh. 0 for 18. He has has a walk, and he must have reached on an error or something. I don't know. He's got 20 plate appearances. Oh. Well, I I do like Mercado. I think he's going to snap out of it. Now, do you think that players are putting pressure on themselves? I'm trying trying to word word it correctly. Do you think they're putting pressure on themselves? Like, I guess, more pressure on themselves? It's a short season. 
Um, of course, they want to win. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, you know, everybody wants to perform well, and the spotlight's kind of on them. Do you think these guys are just kind of pressing too hard right now? Because we've seen it. You know, look, Pete Alonso had a very, very slow start to the season. Yeah. You know, guys are – you could just kind of tell they're pressing. And uh, mm-hmm. especially now, you know, teams are losing, mm-hmm. Mets and Indians alike. Um, you know, it's still a tight race in, in most cases. Mm-hmm. You know, any team that rattles off 10 is going to make a make a really big jump in their division, if not overtake a lead. And that can probably pretty much go for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be 10. It could be literally like three or four games in a row. And that's just, it's going to make such a huge impact on, on division races. But I do think a lot of guys on both teams are pressing, especially looking at Cleveland. I mean, I'm just, they're all trying to hit like five run home runs all the time. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, as we all know, that's not possible. So that's kind of a problem. Um, I don't. I can't speak for you know the Mets point and you know guys that are struggling batting wise for them, but the Achilles heel for Cleveland hitters has been off speed pitches and change ups. Um, watching them try to hit change ups is is brutal. It is absolutely awful. They can't do it. It is just it's it's frustrating. Uh, there was a game last year. Uh, there were two games when they played the White Sox. It was with uh, Lucas Giolito. I believe. Lucas Giolito got absolutely hammered in his first start. But in his second start, um, I think it was his first start. I don't... I'm going to double-check. Lucas Giolito basically threw only fastball change-up an entire game and shut down yeah. the, shut, shut down their offense. And that's all he did. He didn't throw anything else. It was just fastball change-up. Yeah. No, and that works for some guys, man. As long as the command is there, that'll play. Yeah, so, I mean, they got absolutely dominated by that. You know, they played the Twins. The Twins don't have a powerful lineup uh, at all, you know, or pitching uh, pitching rotation. I mean, the the one guy who might be considered somewhat of a power arm, Jose Barrios, they hit pretty good. So, it's not... Then they face, you know, guys like Tyler Clippard and... Um, who else did they face? Uh, Kenta Maeda. You know, these guys aren't necessarily flamethrowers. Uh, yeah. G-Lo got lit up the previous year, not last year, but he allowed uh, zero runs in fourteen point two innings against the Indians last year. Eight, you know, eight hits, seventeen strikeouts. Wow. But you know, I'm I'm looking at you know some the the Twins rotation. These aren't. It's not like, it's not like it's Cleveland's rotation. Yeah. You know, it, it's not like they're getting shut down by Shane Bieber. And Clevenger and whoever else the you know Cleveland decides to just make a a Cy Young candidate pitcher because that's what it seems like they're doing right now. Just keep on turning them out, bro. They get rid of Kluber and it's like, oh yeah, we don't even feel the loss. <laughs> uh, Corey, who? Uh, <laughs> I mean, we got we got they got shut down by Randy Dobnak. Okay. Oh, there you go. I love that mustache, bro. I love that thing. Randy Dopnak pitched against Cleveland. And, and here's his pitching line. Here we go. Let me pull it up for us. Uh, he went five innings. He allowed three hits, two walks, and struck out four. Wait, what was it? Five innings, three hits. Yeah. Four strikeouts. That will play, man. And like, you know, you look at a guy like, um, you know, my guy Bartolo Colon. He did it with two pitches forever. But he threw like 95, though. These guys are throwing like 
90. Cologne? Yeah. For the last years of his career, he didn't, he, he wasn't touching 90. Like, maybe, really? maybe 91. And that's his whole time with the Mets. And, you know, he had a sub two, a sub three ERA one year. I mean, but it's a, he still commanded his fastball. I mean, these guys aren't throwing like fastballs. I mean, it's, it's, it's change up. It's, it's, you know, just, it's slider, it's cutter. It's not straight fastball. And that's, that's yeah. the frustrating part. I mean, and let's be, let's be real here. Jose Ramirez loves the fastball. Uh, he refers to it as just home run pitch whenever he gets one and slams it. It's absolutely hilarious. Uh, when they ask him what kind of pitch that was and he goes, you know, bro, home run pitch. Um, <laughs> but the off-speed pitches are killing him. I don't know what the Met, what, what uh, exactly is going on with the Mets. Are they just in a funk or is there just a certain type of pitch that they're just not hitting? I think everyone's just kind of chasing. I think that the book is out on, on a few guys. I know Alonzo had, he, you know, he had troubles last year. And it's, you know, a lot of credit to him because, all right, so first pitchers attacked him with low, I believe, I, hopefully I get the sequences right. In the early part of the season, they attacked him with low breaking pitches, and he was chasing those balls in the dirt. Mm-hmm. Then they started attacking him high and inside, and he couldn't lay off of them. Mm-hmm. And each time, you know, of course he adjusted. He's, he's a polished, polished hitter. Um, he kept on adjusting, and, you know, I think it, it almost seems like he's putting a lot of um, undue pressure on himself to kind of adjust faster right now. And he's definitely coming around. He made some solid, solid contact over the past few games. Um, you know, and they're singles and doubles, but that's fine. That's that's what it takes to bust out of a little slump. And, you know, that's what he was in. And, you know, sophomore slumps are real. And um, with a full year of, uh, of video to, to scout, um, you know, pitchers and, and coaching staffs are smart enough. And, and, you know, advanced scouts, you know, they're advanced enough, <laughs> not to be redundant, yeah. to uh, – to pick up on these things and kind of attack, you know, hitters weaknesses. And I think that, you know, that door kind of swings both ways that sure, you know, pitchers, uh, hitters can go in the cage and face a, a virtual reality, Jacob DeGrom before the game, to try and get its timing. But you know what hitters, um, you know, hitters can, uh, pitchers can go in and just attack weak zones. Like we had heat maps at baseball savant, the baseball savant and, and fan graphs, but you know, they have like, you know, virtual heat graphs and they have these point things and they could, oh, let me show me this, show me this. So you have like the mind of a major league pitcher with the access to that information. I think that the advantage is always going to go back to the pitcher and hitters are just kind of forced to play catch up. And, and that's always been part of the game. But mm-hmm. It's on, it's, it's such a, a higher level now because of all the information, um, you know, it, I look at Jeremy Hefner, who who had a shortened offseason with the Mets pitching staff as their pitching coach this year. Um, he's got Jacob DeGrom averaging 99 on his fastball and 93 on his slider. That's like almost two miles out, two miles an hour higher on both accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, biomechanics and, and all this stuff, it's real and it, it works. And the data, if, uh, you know, if absorbed or if passed along correctly so the players can absorb it and actually use it because they're the ones with who know their bodies and who think like professional athletes and um you know and Hefner was there so of course it helps to be coming from a form, former major leaguer but it, you know it, it's exciting it, it, it puts a whole new spin on the strategy of the game it's you know you hear even prominent baseball writers and oh it's nerds it's all about the nerds 
fuck yeah, it's about the nerds, bro. Like, you know, take a minute to understand this stuff, and you know, you'll see that this is the direction that the game is going. Like, Luis Robert, who's thirty feet per second sprint speed, like, you know, that's big. Mm-hmm. That's you know, uh, you guys. Have you played? Have you guys faced him yet? Uh, yeah, we have. I don't know if he got a hit though. We're facing him this weekend, so I'm going to see a heavy dose of Larissa, yeah. uh, Luis Robert this weekend because uh, they're taking on the White Sox in Chicago for a few games. Uh, but I can check to see. I think he missed the first game of the series we played against him. Uh, but yeah, that's he, a, that's exciting player. It looks like he's going to be a thorn in you guys' side for a while. Let's see. No, uh, we we played for him all th- three games. He went. Uh, let's see, two for four, one for four, one for four. So yeah. pretty pretty consistent. That's a nice series. <laughs> oh, uh, he scored. Uh, he he drove in two runs in that that fucking shenanigans extra innings game that we played. Uh, I think oh, it was. Uh, was it? Oh no, it wasn't. It wasn't the extra innings game. My bad. This was. Um, this is the game they brought Brad Hand to come in, in a zero zero game, and he looked like absolute trash. That was the game that he uh, that that happened. I, I like Hand a lot. Um, seeing it, like he doesn't crack very often, and you know, he's a he doesn't look slider. He doesn't look strong to start this year. Uh, but the last two outings, it's he's looked better. Start. He has looked better the last two outings, but the first couple were shaky. Uh, and uh, as is with every fan base, if there's a reliever or a closer that doesn't look like what they're supposed to look like, everybody revolts uh, and gets mad. Um, I'm sure that's happening in, in New York right now with you know Edwin Diaz and uh, Dallin Patances and countless others. Uh, but you know in Cleveland, it's been the likes of Cody Allen and Brian Shaw and Chris Perez and. You know, some guys warrant the criticism, other guys don't. Uh, the one that did warrant it was Chris Perez. The others that didn't were Cody Allen and Brian Shaw. But, um, no, it was it was, it was full-time panic alarm when <laughs> when Brad Hand came in the past two appearances. Yeah, and we all have. I mean, this is going back as far as I can remember. The John Francos and the Armando Benitez's. There's always that guy who just scares the shit out of you when he comes in. <laughs> I don't think Brad Hand's going to be that guy. I think he's going to um, straighten himself out. He's just too good. That slider is just too good. Yeah, it's it's been it's a bit of a velocity problem, though. It's, it was just not on the fastball. It's in the, the slider. He was down. He, he picked back up the last two outings, so that's good. Maybe there was just something mechanical that was off a little bit. But both of those pitches were down two miles an hour, and he was very hittable. And yeah, hey, that's sometimes that's the you know that's all it takes. But looks like maybe made a little mechanical switch, made a little adjustment. But the pitches were back up to the velocity that they're supposed to be, and he looked a little bit better uh, these past two outings. I'm hoping that um, continues. But uh, if for some reason Brad Hand doesn't hold on to the closers role, they have one electric pitcher in James Karinjack to take that, and I am excited for whenever that era begins. I haven't seen him yet. Tell me about him. Oh, James Karinjack. First of all, he changed his number to 99 before the season start to embrace his inner Ricky Wild Thing Vaughn. Okay? That's awesome. Oh, you know what? I did catch that. I haven't seen him pitch, but I did see that story. Oh. That's... oh, oh. Just, go, just go to Pitching Ninja. Uh, you know, just go to at Pitching Ninja, search James Karinjack, and nothing 
but electric pitches, okay? <laughs> this dude's got... He, he just makes people look stupid. It, he's, he's got gas. He just... It's it's not even fair sometimes watching what he does. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it takes... Um... It takes a special kind of mentality to go out there and just kind of dominate these hitters. Because everyone's, you know, these are all guys at the top of their craft. Mm-hmm. And to go out there and just leave hitters foolish or leave hitters just completely overmatched, it takes a certain um, certain trait to do that. And Yeah, it sounds like he's got it, man. That's awesome. Uh, he, yeah, and uh, he's fully embracing Ricky Wild Thing, Vaughn, because his, uh, his entrance song is Wild Thing, like the movie Major League. Oh, the uh, the Mets lineup for tonight's game's out, by the way. Oh, what do we got? We got uh, batting leadoff, Brandon Nimmo, uh, Jeff McNeil's in left field. McNeil's back. Okay, McNeil's good. McNeil's back. Uh, Pete Alonso's DHing. Um, okay. Michael Conforto in right field. J.D. Davis at third. Dominic Smith at first. Wilson Ramos catching. Andres uh, Jimenez. Jimenez, yeah. Jimenez, okay. It, those go... Jimenez, Jimenez... It, it, I see the accent now. I couldn't see it it's on my TV. The, yeah, it's the accent. Uh, he's at second, and Ahmed Rosario's also back at shortstop. All right. Here we go. All right. Sorry, I'm into the mic. <laughs> oh, it's all good. It's a, he has got a, a pretty solid lineup uh, there. <clears throat> that's what I'm talking about. Like that, dude, that's, that's what this team can bring when they're healthy. And, boy, I just hope they snap back into it because it really... it's. It, it, when the Marlins are in first place in August and they've only played three games or four games, whatever it is, um, you know, that that's your opportunity to pounce. And they're in last place, but they're still only, I think, three games out. So let's do it. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good lineup. What do you think about uh, Pete Alonso at DH? Uh, one of the criticisms about Pete Alonso as he was coming through, you know, the minor leagues and the scouting reports was not necessarily the best glove, but maybe DH might be better for him because Dom Smith might be a better option defensively. Dom Smith's definitely a better option defensively. Dom Smith has a gold glove caliber glove. God damn it. I've been redundant all day. <laughs> it's all good. Top notch glove from Dom Smith. And his bats really come around. He's a former first round draft pick. Everybody forgets that. Like, you know, it took him a little bit to find his groove at the major league level, but uh, yeah, Dom Smith is a player, man. So, Pete, he put in uh, a lot, like a real lot of work to bring his defense up to major league ready. And then even throughout last year, he was out there, you know, training and and scooping. And he worked so much on his defensive side last year. And really throughout the offseason, I think we heard about it, too. Um, He's been a little shaky this year. And, and, you know, that's going to happen. But with the DH, it certainly gives Luis Rojas – more options and you know with Cespedes gone who was kind of in that DH spot but he wasn't doing much you would think he was hitting like 170 before he opted out it kind of opens up the door for a lot more um versatility in the lineup and you know versatility defensively versatility within the batting order and and where you're going to stick guys it kind of you know it's good. Luis Rojas, he, I don't think he kept the same lineup his first three or four games. Mm-hmm. Kept on shifting it around. He's certainly trying to find uh, something that works. And um, I, I don't foresee him ever kind of landing on, all right, this is our lineup because there's just too many players. Everyone's got to get at bats. Uh, he's done this before in the Dominican Winter League with a short season. Mm-hmm. You have, really have to play the hot hand. And, and the Mets are, are well equipped. And if 
if that means Pete Alonso's in the DH spot, um, that's cool. I uh, He was taking some ground balls at third base before the game today. I did see that. That's interesting. Uh, he played third base in high school. So what, what I think this does by putting Alonzo at DH is it, it takes Dom Smith, puts him at first, um, but you're also able to make sure that, you know, J.D. Davis and uh, let's call it uh, his adventures in the outfield uh, puts him at third and Jeff McNeil's in the outfield. I think that might be the best way to probably uh, put together a lineup defensively. I don't know about you. Yeah, well, McNeil um, had the highest outs above average of any regular Mets outfielder last year, and uh, he's a career infielder. He hadn't played outfield. I guess he played a little bit in college or a little bit in high school or something, but you know, he's primarily an infielder. He's a utility mm-hmm. infield, and uh, he went out and he was arguably the Mets' best outfielder last season. So, yeah, uh, it certainly works. Um, J.D. Davis, uh, you know, for all of his escapades in the field um you know the eye test didn't say he was a good third baseman last year but going by stat casts out outs above average he was actually an above average player just barely above average i think it was plus one at third base so um yeah and the other night he looked terrific at third base so it's um if that's how it has to fall i mean whatever is going to put the most competitive team out there and uh you know from what you just read off to me that sounds like a competitive team and if they're playing the Marlins, they better win some fucking games. Yeah, let's speaking of the Marlins, first of all, let's see who they even have pitching this evening and what their lineup is. Uh here. Someone Mejia is pitching. Uh, I know hum, it's Henry Mejia. They don't have a Henry Mejia. Humberto. Humberto. We had Henry Mejia, but it started with a J. Yeah, I don't see the rest of their lineup. The the, the whole Marlins thing is just it's it's messed up putting out a, a lineup uh at a time where you would imagine it, what we would call it, I guess, timely, uh, because they just seem to be a team that just makes transaction after transaction after transaction. They're the they're the guy in your fantasy league uh, who just makes transactions for the sake of transactions at this point in time. Yeah, like you know, dropping dropping a guy and picking him up a week later when he hasn't done anything just to pick him back up. Yeah, I'm like oh, I like this guy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what Brody does. Oh, I liked Billy Hamilton in 2014. Let's get him in here. So, Brody, <clears throat> sir, was available in the offseason. Oh, I must have missed that. Sir, the blog's had it every fucking day. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you, are, you, are you out on Brody? Happened in the Mets front office in my head. I really hope they do. Are, 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 you, uh, are you out on Brody? Um, yeah. I think, um orchestrating an attack on a player for opting out alleged uh, not even allegedly that's just what i, I think. mean it, it's it's not allegedly come on we, we all know what happened here <laughs> likely but you know what me going out and saying that without solid solid evidence behind besides the full timeline and every all the information but anyway um without allegedly knowing, <laughs> me going out and slandering brody would be the same thing as him going out and slandering <laughs> that, even though that's fair you know, so let's just leave it as it does not look great. But even before that, I mean, sure, having Brody, who comes from an absolute cutthroat industry, and he was the top of the tops in that industry, mm-hmm. that was alluring. I know he had no GM experience, but he was on the other side of the table, and there was a certain allure to that. That was uh, a draw, at least for me as a fan. He hasn't been great, and um, 
you know, the Diaz and Cano deal, you can't justify ever trading Kellenic. Um, you know, he's trending towards superstar and he's only in his second professional season. You know, Cano was expensive. I don't want to get into all that. So that was a starting mm-hmm. off in a bad way. J.D. Davis was a good signing. Chad Lowry was a bad signing. And that stinks of uh, some sort of, I, I don't even want to say what, but that stinks. So Jed Lowry appeared in two spring training games. I uh, didn't, I'm sorry, two spring training workouts after signing him last year mm-hmm. and then was gone. Yeah, he has, he has nine games, eight career plate appearances, zero hits. Yeah, and and they never really actually, like, we never actually saw him work towards anything. It almost feels like he was injured when they signed him, but he's a ex-client, or one of Brody's ex-clients, and it just, it stinks. It absolutely fucking stinks. But, again, without solid evidence, all it can do is stink. So, no, yeah, Brody's, um... <sighs> The Wilpons wanted Brody in the worst way because they knew Brody could be the face of the dysfunction. Oh, damn. I'm writing that down. <laughs> really? That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a title. I'm seriously, I have a pen in my hand. I'm writing that down. I can't wait to read that future article. Um, <laughs> function. Oh, baby. Sorry, Brody. You get fucking roasted. <laughs> um, so, you know, he went into the offseason, the whole Wheeler thing, like, all right, fine. You're not going to sign Wheeler. Oh, but Wheeler is coming back to – he came back to the Mets mm-hmm. for – with say, hey, this is my – these are my final offers. So he got more money from the White Sox. These are – this is per sources, by the way. Yeah. So he got more money from the White Sox um, but chose to sign with the Phillies. But before he signed with the Phillies, he went back to the Mets and said, guys – you know, this, these are my numbers. Just make me an offer. I want to stay in New York. Mm. They didn't even return the fucking email. So the Mets could have got him at a premium, a hometown discount, because they stuck by him and they let him get healthy and they watched him blossom into this terrific pitcher. They didn't even reply to him. Jeez, that um, rotation would be looking so much better right now if they still had Zach Wheeler. You know, and, and they could have, but they could have, right, so, so Wheeler walks. They could have replaced Wheeler with a, a, a similar level of pitcher. Mm-hmm. No, they chose to go out and get Porcello and Waka. And okay, bargain you know bin. <laughs> we, no, but you know what? We can deal with that because at the time it was DeGrom, Syndergaard, Stroman, Mats. Yeah. And then the guys. I like Mats. I think that he still has a chance to blossom into a very good pitcher. Um, they, you know, they had the opportunity to really reinforce this rotation. And they didn't. And, you know, and the way they went about it and, it's just it's very frustrating because you almost knew you almost know what's coming at all times. And especially now with Brody at the front of it, um, he's a professional mouthpiece for professional fuckheads. I wish I had a better word, but that's just the first one that came to me. The Wilpons are professional fuckheads. They love the Mets. There's no doubting they love this team, but they've driven it into the ground and they can't sell it fast enough. Okay, so when the Mets sell, hopefully to Steve Cohen, um, um, do you yes, expect they, do you expect there Brody? Will be, there Brody, will be a yes. You expect Brody to be gone that day? There's no way because Cohen's the biggest Mets fan in the world. Um, you expect him to come in Ari Gold style with a paintball gun, just shoot whoever he's firing with the paintball gun, like on uh, Entourage? No, they're gonna hit him with with the Mr. Mets T-shirt cannon. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, you're gone. 
Um, just uh, bring in Mr. Met and have him do that. And uh, every time he hits somebody, just give him the finger. <laughs> yeah, or do it at the same time. Give him the finger with one hand and shooting the t-shirt cannon with the other. Perfect. Oh, Brody, hey, boom, you're gone. Step into my office. You're fucking fired. <laughs> oh, man. Now, now I'm in a great mood. You're in a great mood because that's all you're just you're, – you're picturing the – uh, Steve Cohen buying the team and cleaning house. Um, Are you familiar with uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back? I'm sorry. No, no. Yes. My apologies. Dogma. Yes. Okay. So you know when Ben Affleck and and and, uh, and what's his name? Fucking uh, Matt Damon. Go into uh, the movie um, executive offices and they just start slaughtering people. That, but with a t-shirt cannon and Steve Cohen. Oh, God. <laughs> you didn't say God bless you. <laughs> I, that got dark, but it, you did it with a t-shirt cannon, so it's fine. <laughs> oh, that that side, James. I'm sorry. Oh, that's that's so good. It's just so good, though. I mean, because I I feel like that encap encapsulates the the feelings of Mets fans towards not only just the Will Pounds, but the the tenure of Brody and how. <laughs> unspectacular it's been um yeah he's just there's been some big 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 questionable moves you know we, we trading Kalenic for edwin diaz and robinson cano and uh, you know you already mentioned you know that and you know jet lowry and the inactivity with zach wheeler it's just it's very it's frustrating um you know, I've seen you know my favorite football team do something almost exactly the same as all of this, so it's not necessarily all that surprising to me. I've watched my you know the Browns sabotage themselves for twenty years. Um, oh, there's a kin oh, there's definitely a kinship there. Same they, thing between like Mets and uh, Mets and White Sox fans both mm -hmm. have it pretty similarly. Um, but yeah, any any team that's just ineptly run, um, you know. I feel for you. If you're a fan of those teams, um, mm -hmm. you know, we, we, we were kindred brothers. Yeah. And, you know, and the worst part about it is the Browns have had two separate ownerships since they came back, and they've both been terrible. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't complain about my football team. I'm a, I'm a New York football Giants fan. Um, the, the best goddamn owners in, in sports. Um, yeah. You know, I, I always say, uh, if it wasn't for the Giants, I'd have no no winners in my life as far as my sports teams. But thank goodness for the Giants. Man. So you got uh, you got Knicks. Oh, uh, I am a Knicks fan. Uh, I, I'm I'm considering boycotting the Knicks. I said I was gonna. <laughs> it's been really hard to kind of go through on that. Um, Dolan never came out and said anything about Black Lives Matter. Oh, um, dude, Dolan's so. Oh, he's the worst. Oh, he's the worst. I right. mean, uh, his cousin owns my, you know, the Cleveland baseball team, and so he's terrible in a different way. <laughs> That's his cousin, Dolan. It, yeah. Huh. Yeah. It. Yeah. Huh. I was not aware. Okay. Um. But yeah. So the Knicks, who you know, they were good when I was a kid, and I was a huge, huge sports fan in the in the nineties, and. Um, that was a great ride and it was very fun. It's just been a, a letdown since and, um, the whole Dolan thing and it, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to move on, but I don't want to, I can't really bring myself to do it. I never thought this day would come that I was actually ready to move on from the Knicks, but 
you know, here we are. Um, we'll see when next season comes around how I feel. Uh, anyway, so the Knicks, I grew up a Rangers fan. My father was a diehard Rangers fan, raised me and my brother Rangers fans. Mm-hmm. In 94, I was 11, so um, that was huge. And then I became an Islanders fan by the time I was like 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rangers traded all my guys away. So I got to see a championship, but then I became an Islanders fan, and it's been the same thing, just meandering ever since. And then, of course, you have the Mets, where you have, um, you know, it's almost like a, it's almost like a leap year where you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. Oh, you're fine. It's almost like a leap year where, uh, you know, once every four years, you have a really, really competitive, exciting season. But otherwise, it's just not there. Yeah. So, so yeah, goodness for my job. So Larry Dolan owns uh, owns the baseball team. His son, Paul, is the president. Um Chairman, CEO, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Paul and James are cousins. Had no idea. And this is a guy who's, you know, they own Newsday. They own Cablevision. They own the Newsday's our local paper on Long Island. Yeah. They own Newsday. They own Cablevision or Optimum. Um, they're huge. The Dolans pretty much are Long Island. I never <laughs> knew that. They... It's, it's funny sometimes how that works out, isn't it? Yeah, funny, peculiar, um, makes my bullshit radar go up, you know. I mean, you know, James Dolan has his own uh, experiences of of doing questionable moves, and, you know, so is uh, the baseball team here in Cleveland. He's Uh, also getting tickets to his own fucking reserved box in New York sports hell. Fuck you, (laughs) Dolan.